Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 169, The Business of Predicting Turns. Hi, I'm Neil. It's good to be back. It doesn't feel like it's been nearly a month since we last talked to each other. As I've talked about in the past, sometimes there is a topic that takes a little bit longer to come together. And today's episode is a prime example of that. For the past two months, financial market commentators have been stumped by the stock market's resiliency. The common refrain has been that the market is too optimistic, given what seems to be crisis after crisis. A growing number of people have been going around saying Wall Street got the pandemic right. Or did it? With the pandemic still ongoing, Apple and a growing list of companies are trading near all-time highs. The NASDAQ just recently hit a record high. The S&P 500 is pretty close to being up for the year. When we look at fixed income markets, they remain shockingly robust. What is going on here? One question that I continued to be intrigued by was, did Wall Street try to predict the pandemic's turn without actually knowing what such a turn would look like? In today's episode, We're going to focus on that question. And I think by the end of the episode, we're probably going to be in a very different place than where we are now. And I found that very surprising when I was researching this topic. I wanted to point out that this discussion is not dependent on where the market is trading on any given day. We could have the same discussion if the market was 20% higher, 20% lower. Much of this discussion actually materialized while the market was much lower than where it is now. In addition, as we'll see, I don't think this has to just do with the pandemic either. I think we can swap out different news events and the items will still ring true. The best place to kick off the discussion is to talk a little bit about Wall Street. There are two truths when it comes to how Wall Street functions. Number one, markets are forward-looking. And number two, markets are comprised of participants with different perspectives and viewpoints. It's worth going over each one in a little bit more detail. The first one, markets are forward-looking. A company's stock price is not based on how that company performed in the past. We could use a very simple and straightforward example. If a company reports a great earnings report for the quarter that just ended, but then on the conference call, management reveals bankruptcies on the horizon. So something major happened where you have a company going from great times to really, really tough times. The market is not going to make sure that those strong results that occurred in the past are valued appropriately. Instead, the focus is going to be on that bankruptcy. Stock prices are determined by expectations of what will happen in the future. More specifically, a company's future cash flow stream. We can look at fixed income markets. They're based on economic trends going forward, not where the economy was in the past. What about investment banking, M&A? Valuation multiples used for M&A 
are not based on how a target performed last year, but rather on expectations for that company in the future. How will they do over the next couple of years? The implications found with this forward-looking nature are immense. We could go back two months ago to April. Unemployment claims data was released, and it was really bad. It pointed to 16 million people losing their jobs in just a three-week span as businesses were closed, stay-at-home orders were put in place. But the stock market went on to register its strongest weekly performance in decades that same week. This led U.S. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to tweet a screenshot. Looks like from Jim Cramer's show over at CNBC. In the background, there was an image that said the Dow's best week since 1938. The image had a lot of green. You had a what looked like kind of like a stock chart going up and to the right. But then in the bottom of the screen, there was a banner. Breaking news. More than 16 million Americans have lost jobs in three weeks. Many looked at such juxtaposition as a sign of Wall Street being broken or corrupt, as if the market was applauding 16 million people losing jobs. This was not the case. Instead, since the market is forward-looking, the focus had already shifted to the May and June jobs reports. A more accurate tweet would have compared the market's 11% down week back in February with news of 16 million Americans losing their jobs in March. The second truth when it comes to how Wall Street functions deals with how the word mark is even defined. The idea that there is one person or entity determining whether equity markets move up or down any given day is fantasy. It's something portrayed by the press in an attempt to add clarity to what is inherently a lot of unknown. Instead, financial markets are comprised of different viewpoints, often at odds with each other. Those viewpoints must come together so that price discovery can occur. Contrary to what financial and business news publications will lead you to believe, it is impossible to know why stocks move up or down on any given day. We will talk a little bit more about this later on, but it's simply unfortunate how so many publications have turned financial news coverage into a game. That's what it is. It's entertainment. In order to figure out why a stock is behaving a certain way, each market participant buying and selling shares of that stock would need to be questioned as to their reasoning and motive. Since that activity isn't feasible, it is impossible to know the reason or reasons why a stock moves in a particular direction. Over at AboveAvalon.com, in this week's article titled Predicting Turns on Wall Street, I included a price chart for the S&P 500 over the past six months. It's pretty easy to see how the market had a very difficult end of February and March, and then since March... Things had sort of been essentially on the up. S&P 500 had moved about 45% from putting in the bottom in March. This will lead some people to look at that chart and think that Wall Street made one big bet 
around the end of March that there would be a turn in the pandemic, a point at which the health crisis would bottom and then begin to improve, bringing with it better economic trends. That would be an incorrect assessment of how the stock market and Wall Street in general operates. There is never one large bet made by the market in March regarding the pandemic since there isn't one market participant. Instead, there were millions, even tens of millions of smaller predictions made. Some predictions called for the pandemic just to disappear. Others called for the pandemic to become increasingly bad as 2020 progressed. The participants making these predictions considered asset prices and using their own expectations of what may or may not happen, made a determination as to whether or not prices reflected their expectations. Exposure and risk appetites were then judged. Another truth when it comes to the stock market's performance over the past three months is that there was never one set of predictions guiding price action. It may be easy to think that the market is simply moving off of the same months-old mindset that exists in March, but that is faulty logic. The market is in a very different place today than it was just a month ago, or even a week ago. Predictions are constantly evolving, both to the upside and downside, as new information comes to light. Consider the following noteworthy events that occurred since the stock market bottomed in March. Around the end of March, it became clear that U.S. policymakers on both sides of the aisle were going to respond to the economic impact from the pandemic in a very big way. In early April, after a shaky few weeks, fixed income markets returned to stability due in part to unprecedented commitments from the U.S. Fed. It became clear that a wave of bankruptcies hitting major corporations that had seemed likely just a few weeks prior was not actually going to materialize. In mid to late April, we had earnings season. And I think one of the major themes then was management commentary being more upbeat than analyst expectations. Apple was a great example of this. When you went through the numbers and management's conference call, it became clear that Apple was not going to be impacted by the pandemic as much as some other industries or companies. In May and early June, the coronavirus epicenter in the U.S., the New York City metro area, saw a complete turnaround on the health front with clear improvement in most coronavirus-related trends. Connecticut is a similar way. When you take a look at things like the number of cases, hospitalizations, death rates. It really is remarkable how things have turned around from April. Does it mean that things won't change or won't get worse in the future? But there has been a material improvement where things were really bad back in April and even early May. And then another development Last week was we had a surprisingly strong May jobs report, and it reflected the positive impact from government stimulus programs and states beginning to reopen. Market participants had plenty of opportunities to test their predictions that were made in March with all those preceding developments and adjust their viewpoints accordingly. Since the market is always forward-looking, the inherent nature of Wall Street is to be in the business of predicting turns. 
assessing when good economic times will turn sour and when bad economic times will turn positive. This practice was not unique to the pandemic. Sometimes the collective nature of Wall Street's predictions ends up being wrong. In late 2018, there were fears of the U.S. falling into a recession. Those fears never materialized. Back in late February, predictions that the pandemic would be quickly contained and not lead to major economic interruptions obviously ended up being wrong. If consensus is wrong on a prediction turn, asset prices adjust, and Wall Street participants regroup to make yet another prediction about a potential run. This process then continues. There's no end. At this point, I think we can use Apple as an example. All of this turn predicting occurs not only at a stock index level, but also at an individual company level. Back in February, some market participants bet Apple would find itself in major trouble as the pandemic would impact both supply and demand. However, there were other market participants betting that Apple wasn't going to suffer much on the supply side, and demand would simply be delayed into the second half of 2020 and 2021. How can such different viewpoints exist for the same company? It all comes down to how Apple is viewed. If you look at Apple as just an iPhone maker, well, that's going to lead to different predictions than viewing Apple as a tool maker with a billion engaged users who aren't likely to go elsewhere for computing tools. This is often why commentary from those who don't know much about Apple is prone to error. It may be easy and tempting to think that iPhone users will choose less expensive smartphone alternatives during a recession. However, one will be more accurate looking at the situation in terms of ecosystems and iPhone users not having much desire or incentive to leave Apple's ecosystem. This is one reason why iPhone sales share has actually increased during the pandemic. As we mentioned a few minutes ago, when Apple reported earnings at the end of April, management said that recent trends reflected demand improving across the board. A logical explanation was that government stimulus programs were starting to hit, while product categories like the Mac and iPad were actually seeing improved results from developments like distant learning and people working from home. At this point in the discussion, we turn to some lessons. Is there a way to get ahead of Wall Street's nature of predicting turns? Knowledge is power when it comes to achieving proper perspective. Less time should be given to topics like where markets may be headed or what is driving markets up and down on any given day. Both topics are bound to be guided by entertainment-led directives. Where then should we give our time and attention? I think it should be given to people with unique perspectives that are able to analyze news events separately from daily stock price moves. These perspectives would come from experts relying on years of experience in their respective field, which allows historical context to be added to the news. Caution is needed when determining where to turn for financial market news. 
I stopped watching CNBC during the pandemic because of inadequate coverage. In my opinion, CNBC let a lot of their viewers down. The network likes to think of themselves as following some kind of noble cause of helping the average investor navigate through all the noise. What they do, though, is the exact opposite. They don't provide clarity. They don't help the average investor navigate through a sea of unknown. And so they throw you off the ship. At the end of February, CNBC invited Jeremy Siegel, professor of finance at the University of Pennsylvania, to talk about the collapsing stock market at the time. Siegel is a CNBC regular. He discussed how the vast majority of a stock price is not derived by earnings over the next 12 months, but instead by cash flow further out. I'll include a link to Siegel's comments in the show notes. He didn't make a direct short-term call on either the market or the pandemic. Instead, Siegel was trying to add some calm to a market that was increasingly getting out of hand. The CNBC host didn't want anything to do with Siegel's comments. Each of their initial responses were to go after his remarks and try to get him to say something more hysterical. The exchange was just one example of what ended up being weeks of fear-led coverage based on whatever the tone of the news was that morning. One day, the end of the world was near, and the next day, a random vaccine trial meant the market was undervalued by 30%. Looking ahead, there isn't going to be much change in the way financial markets are covered unless there is a fundamental change in business models. Finance news publications and outlets that are ultimately based on advertising will continue to be incentivized to get as many people as possible to click articles and watch videos. Said another way, financial news outlets will continue to do better when markets are in turmoil. This brings us back to the original question that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Did Wall Street get the pandemic right? Was there some kind of turn that was predicted? While some market participants will be quick to say that their own rosy projections about the pandemic ended up being right, the truth is the situation was much more complicated. My thinking is that most people probably haven't changed their viewpoints regarding the pandemic over the past two months. Those who tended to be on the optimistic side of the spectrum remain optimistic. Those who are pessimistic remain just as pessimistic. There is still a wide spectrum of viewpoints in this market regarding how the pandemic will trend for the rest of 2020. With that said, what can explain the market's strong performance over the past two months? There are a number of factors that came together to impact equities. However, one of the more glaring changes was that calmness entered the market. The VIX, commonly referred to as the market's fear gauge, measures the expected or future volatility of market based on S&P index options. The higher the VIX, the greater the level of fear. The VIX collapsed over the past three months, although it remains elevated. In February and early March, the market saw the most volatile price action it has seen since the 1987 crash. Simply put, humans don't react well to that kind of volatility. Over the subsequent three months, the news flow has in many ways allowed a level of calm to return to the markets. Not having debt markets implode will have a material impact on one's views on equities. Having some of the largest companies in the world talk about a bottoming in demand in April will get attention. 
signs of improvement in the employment situation due to the stimulus programs and states reopening won't go unnoticed. All of those developments amount to stability re-entering the market. One can still have a negative viewpoint of the health impact arising from the pandemic, but when it comes to transcribing that viewpoint into thoughts about asset prices and equity valuations, emotion inevitably plays a major role. Predicting turns on Wall Street ends up being about predicting when calmness will enter and leave the market. When market participants will be guided more by emotions and feelings or numbers and facts. Prior to starting above Avalon, I spent seven years on Wall Street as a sell-side equity analyst. I covered small cap property and casualty insurance companies. And those seven years included the financial crisis. And so this ended up being one of the best learning experiences one could have on Wall Street. And so I got to experience this turn prediction from the other side. And so when you had a small cap insurance company report earnings, you could then talk with people, the market participants, who were buying and selling the shares. The way it worked was just how we talked about in this episode. There was never one exact reason for explaining why a stock would go up or down following earnings. People had different viewpoints, different perspectives, different thoughts about companies. As we moved away from the financial crisis, you also saw how emotions and feelings were replaced a little bit more by numbers and facts. So things that didn't matter during the financial crisis, such as underwriting and reserving, which are the most important things for an insurance company, they started to gain attention once the crisis sort of ended or subsided. Given the way humans behave, we can have a high degree of confidence that there will be plenty of future turns to predict on Wall Street. In some ways, that's why Wall Street exists in the first place. For there to be a marketplace where the economic and financial ups and downs associated with human emotion can be allowed to play themselves out. That's going to do it for today's episode. For those of you who want more information on today's topic, I did continue the discussion in a daily update. In particular, I focused on two topics, the egregious way financial markets, and in particular, the stock market are covering the press and embracing the unknown that is inherently built into the market. In addition, I had a daily update that included a discussion about the market's fear gauge or the VIX. I purposely did not go into too much detail about that topic in today's episode. I'll include links to those two daily updates in the show notes. If you enjoyed the analysis and perspective found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, which are accessible to everyone, I think you'd be interested and find a lot of value in becoming an Above Avalon member. The cornerstone of Above Avalon membership is access to my exclusive daily updates all about Apple. These updates are emails. Each one is 2,000 words and typically covers three stories. They're sent directly into people's inboxes Monday through Thursday. So there are four exclusive new updates each week. In each update, I will talk about everything from Apple business and strategy analysis to my perspective and observations on current news, Apple competitors, and the industries Apple is playing in or thinking about entering. I also go over my Apple financial estimates, and there's full coverage of Apple earnings, product events, 
and keynotes. I do have a few sample daily updates available over at AboveAvalon.com. They are found on the membership page that will give you a taste for what a daily update is like. And then if you go to the daily updates page, that's the archive. So you can see all of the different stories covered in the daily updates. That's going to give you a look at the wide spectrum of topics covered in the daily updates. Since Apple doesn't operate in a vacuum, I end up talking about quite a few companies, but everything ultimately comes back to Apple. In my opinion, the best way of covering Apple and the way of being the most accurate is to focus on the company first and then focus on the industry. A lot of people do it the other way around. They'll focus on an industry and then look at Apple as just one player in that industry. I think that usually will lead you down the wrong path in terms of analysis. To receive these daily updates directly in your inbox, all you have to do is become an Above Avalon member. So go to the membership page over at AboveAvalon.com. There are sign-up forms available. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. Apple Pay is accepted. The membership page also includes the full list of member privileges and benefits. So that includes accessing Above Avalon reports, my earnings model. Those are available at no additional costs. There's an archive of nearly 1,000 daily updates that were previously sent to members. And there is a member forum that I personally moderate and participate in. The membership page also includes answers to some frequently asked questions. And like always, if you have an additional question that is not answered there, feel free to reach out. There is a contact page over at AboveAvalon.com. I am proud to say that Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. So if you are an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. And if you are planning on becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later. Bye.